Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Ebenezer family. I have, a few, I have a couple of questions I want you to think about as I begin today. And here's the first one. What is the nicest thing or most unexpected thing someone has ever done for you? And how did it make you feel? Now, as you think about that, I'll share one of my stories. I've had the good fortune of being a benefactor of many acts of kindness. However, one in particular stands out for me. Several years ago, a couple new to Ebenezer wanted to meet with Brenda and I for coffee. I want to give you just a bit of context here. I was Ebenezer's worship pastor at that time, which will probably surprise uh, some of you, especially if you've ever sat beside me and, and heard me sing. And if you've never had that privilege, well, let's just say I, I know Chet, and we'll leave it at that. However, those were different times. And Ebenezer was in the process of shifting from a very traditional style of worship with a piano, organ, hymn book, and a solo worship leader to a more contemporary style of worship with a full worship band and modern worship songs. And, and that was met with significant resistance from a few people. In those days, believe it or not, some believed that drums were of the devil, electric guitars were worldly, and the only songs truly inspired were the hymns found in our hymn book. Those who opposed that change often gave me the gift of their honesty by freely sharing their strong and passionate opinions and views on worship. And there were times that I felt a bit beat up, to be honest. And so when this couple wanted to take us out for coffee, I was slow to say yes because I didn't want to hear more criticism. However, that did not deter them. And one Saturday morning, they actually showed up at our house unannounced. But they didn't come to complain or criticize. Instead, they came to bless us. And to our complete surprise, they handed us an envelope full of cash with three simple instructions. That we had to spend it all within a couple of days that we couldn't use it to pay off any existing bills that we had, and that we had to report back to them over a cup of coffee how we spent the money. So that's what we did. And then when we met with them a few days later, um, after they, after we talked and stuff, I just had one question for them. And that was why. Why did you do this, I asked. Because nothing like this had ever happened to us before. And I'll never forget their reply. They said this, God impressed on our hearts that you needed to be encouraged. (laughs) Now, what they didn't realize is that I was very close to resigning my position at Ebenezer and leaving the ministry altogether. In fact, earlier that week, I had applied for a teaching position at a school. But God used uh, that act of kindness and this couple's good deed uh, to be one of three remarkable events over a 10-day period that really uh, affirmed our calling at Ebenezer and gave us a new confidence to stay here. And so I ask you again, what's the nicest and most unexpected thing someone has ever done for you or you've done for someone else? And what impact did it have on their lives? Now, the second question I want you to think about is at the total opposite end of the spectrum. What's the most unfair or unjust thing that has ever happened to you or is happening to you right now? And how did you or are you responding to that injustice? You know, we've all lived long enough to know that life is not fair, that there are many injustices in this world. 
For those who are younger, it might be something uh, simple like maybe you feel like your parents' rules are unfair or that a teacher or coach treats you unfairly. Or maybe more significantly, a friend has turned against you and said something unkind or untrue and hurtful uh, about you on, on social media or to your friendship group and now you're on the outside and, and you're alienated from your friendship group. Those of us who are older experiences, experience injustices in life too. Maybe uh, we've been treated unfairly at work by a boss or co-worker. Or, or maybe through no fault of our own, um, our health has failed or the health of a loved one has failed and the life that we hope to ha live has been stolen from us. Or, or maybe uh, you've gone through the heartbreak of a relationship breakup and you are struggling with the hurt and pain and anger of the unfairness and inequity of that process. Now, there are a number of ways that people typically respond to the injustices of life. You know, some of us who are, who are naturally gentle and passive and self-controlled might, might choose to simply accept the new reality and live within it. <laughs> That's not me, by the way. Those who are more anxious might be filled with anxiety and fear, and they might try and avoid or run from it. And this appears to be how some of Peter's audience is responding to the pressures in their lives. And then those who are more aggressive or assertive may choose to challenge the injustice and fight for what is right. Now, do any of these ways of man sound familiar to you? My typical response to injustice and unfairness is to stand up and defend myself or others and fight for what's right. You know, take for example uh, sports. I know NHL playoffs are on right now, but whenever a referee makes a call, a bad call, um, it, it bugs me and, and it bugs me a lot. And in my younger days, I would be quick to point the officials towards what is right and true in my kids' sports. But as we're going to see in today's passage, the ways of God are very different than the ways of man. And these two questions capture the tension of this morning's passage. A call to live lives of goodness and blessing while you are suffering through the unjust, unfair treatment of others. Now, for the sake of those who are new to us, let me give you a brief overview of the letter. Peter is writing to a group of believers who have been scattered across Asia Minor because of unfair, unjust, and severe persecution. The Roman Emperor Nero has just begun his reign of terror against the Christian people. The Jewish religious leaders continue their relentless attack against followers of Christ. And most recently, society as a whole had turned on them and joined in this unfair, unfounded persecution. It was a challenging time to be a follower of Christ, that's for sure. And many found themselves alone and isolated, mistreated and hurting. And so Peter, guided by the Holy Spirit, wrote this letter. And he wrote this letter to encourage uh, the, his readers in their faith. He wrote it to, to speak into their current circumstances and suffering. And he wrote it to instruct them how to live their lives Christianly in front of a hostile world that was treating them unfairly and unjustly. And the instructions uh, Peter had given his audience were, were this. He, he said, uh, live with eternity in mind. That was from chapter 1. He talked about uh, living holy lives as people set apart for God's purposes. That was the, the, also in chapter 1. 
He talked about living according to uh, this new identity in Christ that we have as, as God's chosen people, as His holy nation, as His very own possession. And then he talked about uh, living good lives. And, and by that he meant lives that are characterized by our good works and also lives that are characterized by humble submission to others. People like governments or masters or uh, family relationships with husbands, wives, and, and everyone, and then eventually everyone. And our text for this morning is, is going to continue to develop this, this fourth point. It begins at, at ch- verse uh, 13 of chapter 3. And it's going to take us to the very end of the, of the chapter. Now, uh, like the rest of Peter's letter, this section is loaded with information. You know, in contrast to Paul, who, who tended to build his theology in his letters, uh, Peter likes to use a series of short statements that, although very memorable, or even, as we'd say today, very tweetable, they often need to be unpacked. You know, for example, uh, in chapter 2, verse 9, he talks about that we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And each of those descriptions could be a standalone sermon. Or take uh, one of the verses uh, from the passage Kelly preached from last week. He, he said, we have to have a unity of mind, uh, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. You know, these are all significant, significant commands that, that deserve a deeper look and they're all contained in one verse and so it just keeps on getting bigger and bigger. And, and what we're, we're finding, and when I say we, I mean those of us who are speaking, is that Peter's writing style makes his letter a challenge to preach because every section is filled with all these amazing truths. Even today, for example, uh, I ended up writing my sermon three times because the first two attempts, they just got bogged down with information and it just felt overwhelming and I didn't think I could present it. So I I tried to simplify my approach this morning so that uh, we won't fail to see the forest for all the trees that are found in this passage because this is an important and very relevant passage of Scripture for us to look at today. So, uh, here's the big picture of our passage. And it's one that you've seen before, actually, because Peter is going to return to a central theme of this entire extended section of Scripture, which he stated back in chapter 2, verse 12. And that, that is that we're called to live honorably, or as another version says, we're called to live good lives amongst unbelievers. And the reason Peter is exhorting his audience of scattered, scared, and persecuted believers to live good lives is because he knows that it will have a positive impact on their lives on earth and it will have an eternal impact on others. So that's the big picture I want you to keep in mind today. Now our passage um, nicely divides into two distinct but connected halves. The focus of the first half, which is chapter 3, verses 13 to 17, is on the scattered believers and how God wants them to live their lives in the hostile environment that they find themselves in. And the focus of the second half, which is uh, verses 18 to the end of the chapter 22, is on Jesus and how he lived his life in a similar hostile environment, which gives us a great example to follow. Okay, so let's open our Bibles now, or devices, and let's read the first half of this morning's text together. This is what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. 
Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have inside. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if, if it for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Okay, let me just stop there and, and just make a couple of observations. Uh, the first kind of big observation is that, is that simply God wants us to live good lives. Now, at the heart of this passage is the call to live good lives among those around us, regardless of who they are or regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And this is not the first time that we've heard Peter say this because it's a major theme throughout his letter and it's actually a major theme throughout the Bible. In 1 Peter chapter 2.12, it says, Live such good lives in the world that though people accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good works or your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Again, we look at the rest of the Bible, we see in Matthew chapter 5.16, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches something similar. And he says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The Apostle Paul gets in on the act and he calls us to live good lives filled with good works, saying things like this in Ephesians uh, 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Or in Galatians 6.9, Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Or Titus 3.8, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. And these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Well, it's pretty clear that God wants us to live good lives. But what does that actually mean? Well, let me give you a simple but helpful definition of what this means. A good life is characterized by walking in the ways of God and not in the ways of man. You know, and we live good lives when we take off our character and we put on the character of God. Okay, let me just go back to the beginning of this section and we'll get a clear picture of what Peter is referring to. It means uh, doing and being certain things and not doing and being certain things. It means... uh, the beginning of chapter 2, preparing our, our minds for action or, and being sober-minded and, and setting our hope on, on God's grace. It's actually chapter 1, verse 13. It means not conforming to our worldly passions, chapter 1, verse 14. It means living our lives as holy to the Lord and set apart, in verse 16 of chapter 1. It means putting away things like malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander. It's the beginning of chapter 2. It means longing to grow in our faith like a newborn baby longs for for spiritual milk. It means understanding and and living out our new spiritual identity in Christ in chapter 2, verse 9 and following. It means abstaining from the passions of the flesh 
means living honorably in, in this world and submitting to human institutions like governments and bosses and spouses. It means submitting to each other in, in unity and in compassion and love and humility. And it means blessing others instead of paying back evil for evil. And these are the ways of God. And to be honest, they're hard to follow because they're often opposite the ways of man. Which means that living this way requires God's supernatural help because it doesn't come naturally to very many of us, if any of us. Second observation is this, that we, need, we live good lives when our actions and deeds reflect God's grace and goodness. Verse 13 speaks about this. It says, uh, it talks about being eager to do good. And this is another one of God's ways. A few verses earlier, Peter described it this way, don't pay back evil for evil, but on the contrary, bless. Bless others. For to this you were called, it says. Our inner transformation as Christ followers should always have an outward expression that others can clearly see. You know, my goodness or our goodness should be noticeable to the watching world around us and reflect the heart of God. As one of our missionaries uh, said once, we need to be the good of the good news before the world is going to listen to that good news from our lips. You see, um, when someone wants to hear the gospel, which, which does happen, uh, just recently I, I was called into the hospital and someone wanted to hear the gospel because they, they were scared and their, and their life was coming to an end. And so when someone wants to hear, we tell them. But what happens when they don't want to hear? Well, when they don't want to hear the gospel, we, we show them. We show them by the actions of our lives. And that leads me to, to a third observation, which is this, that, that when we live good lives filled with good deeds, life often goes better for us. Now, now, I realize this doesn't sound very spiritual, but it's what Peter tells his audience. He says in this rhetorical question, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? In other words, living good lives filled with good deeds um, will always stand out in this world. But it's going to be in, in sharp contrast to those around us. In fact, so powerful are our good lives and acts of goodness that when we live out the ways of God in our, in our context, even in environments of extreme persecution like the believers experienced in Peter's day, it helps, it helps us win the favor of those in the world and it keeps us from experiencing the unnecessary pains of this world. Now, of course, this is not the main reason we're going to, we are to live good lives filled with good deeds, but, but it's a practical reason and it's in the scripture. The greater reason is our witness. And in verses 14 to 16, Peter connects our good lives filled with good deeds and the unfair, unjust suffering we experience in this life to our, our witness to the world around us. And that brings me to, to my second main point. And that's this, that, that God wants our lives to draw the world to him. Again, I, I want to make a few observations from the text about this. The first is this, that our effective witness to the world always begins with our heart. It says in verse 15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Now I find it interesting that Peter focuses on the heart and life of the faithful witness rather than on some kind of evangelistic method or, or strategy. Now maybe it's because he knows that the inner life 
and the outer life are, are in, inseparable. And what happens in, in here inevitably will be displayed on what others see on the outside. So what does it mean to revere Christ as Lord? Well, simply it means to honor Him as Lord. It means to, to worship Him as the God of the universe. It means to submit to Him as your King and to love Him and to treasure Him and to put your hope in Him. And when we love Jesus first and best, something happens inside of us naturally. Our conversations will, will change and they'll become more and more about Him. When, when we live in submission to Him, our attitudes and actions begin to change and we will more naturally begin to show the world a better way, a way of love and of forgiveness and of grace and peace. And that leads me to a second observation. Our good lives and our good deeds will open spiritual doors and give us opportunity to share the hope that is within us. It says in verse 15b, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, often the call for evangelism focuses on the go and tell. And although there is a case for that in the scripture and a place for that in this world, it's not what we see in these verses. Here we see a, a more of a live and respond evangelistic approach. According to Peter, your good life, when it's displayed, uh, uh, reflects the ways and, and reflects the ways and character of God in your values and your attitudes and actions. It will open spiritual doors. And it will give you the opportunity to share the hope within you. You know, I want you to notice the order here. Uh, it says, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks uh, you to give the reason for the hope you have. You know, our gospel response is an answer to their question. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time someone stopped and asked you to explain the hope that they can see inside of you. And if someone did come and ask you that, would you be able to explain your hope in a way that they would understand and want? Now, that can mean various things and maybe you have examples. This past weekend staff, we were, we were sharing, I had Pastor Chet share with the staff and he, he talked about a time when, when people who knew he was a Christian and saw his light came up to him and they pulled him aside and started asking him questions about his faith. That's what it means. It's, it's this inner hope inside of us. It's obvious to the outside. Maybe for you, it's when you have peace in a trying and difficult circumstance. Or maybe it's they're wondering, why are you blessing people and speaking kindly of people who mistreat you? Or maybe it's, uh, why are you able, how are you able to forgive others that have hurt you so badly? Or why are you content with your life circumstances? Or why are you generous with your time and money? Why do you treat all people with such honor and respect? Why do you do so carefully guard the covenant of marriage in your, in your family with your spouse? You know, how can you trust God in your singleness or whatever else people happen to see in you? Now, here, here's the thing. If people never ask you about the hope you have in you, it either means that, you, that they can't see it in you which may require you to take an honest look at your heart and choose to honor Christ as Lord again and return to Him. 
or, or it means that, that no one's watching which means you either have to get out more, which I know is hard during this pandemic, or you need to ask God to bring people into your life that need to experience his hope. Here's the third observation from these verses. Our gospel conversations with others should always be filled with gentleness and respect. Verse 15b again. But do this with gentleness and respect. Just prior to the pandemic shutdown, our family went to Phoenix for a short holiday. And we stayed in, in a home near the uh, Gila River Arena where the Phoenix Coyotes play. And also it's right near State Farm Stadium where the Arizona Cardinals play the football team. Now that stadium also hosts the Fiesta Bowl which happened to be on during our visit there. And so we thought we'd walk over to the stadium and, and maybe try and snag some cheap tickets to watch the game. But they were, they were like way, way out of our price range. It was, it was, they were so much money. And... Uh, but as we walked through the crowds, uh, we noticed that a church had come to hand out tracts and share the gospel. It was horrifying. They, they set up sound systems. They were calling people out. They were judgmental. They were filled with con- condemnation. They singled out people who they thought were living in sin. Uh, they were doing nothing that this verse asks us to be or do. Now, one of the reasons why I, I love Alpha is because uh, that course recognizes that people are on a journey. And because of that, it, it makes space for them to, to ask questions or to listen to opinions and to share their stories. And it allows the, the cross of Christ to be the barrier to their faith, not the attitudes or harshness or the actions of the people around them. And so, so uh, when you have the chance to share your faith, please, you know, please, please, do so with gentleness and respect. Okay, one last main point before we look at the example of Jesus Christ in the second half of this morning's, uh, this morning's text. text. And don't worry, uh, this, this point is going to be short and so is the next half going to be very, very short. So here it is. Uh, third, uh, our good lives and our good deeds do not guarantee a good life. Now, maybe this is stating the obvious, but, but let me just say it in any, any way. That no matter how well you live your life, you may still find yourselves in a place of suffering. And some of you are in that place right now. Because people may still have it out for you, and they might treat you poorly because of who they are or even because of your faith. And Peter wants us to know that if or when we suffer for good, it's not the whole story or the end of the story. That suffering for righteousness always has a purpose in God's unfolding plan. And Peter reminds us that in, in the end, those who suffer for good will be blessed. So it says in the scripture. So, so don't be troubled or don't be filled with fear if, if you're experiencing suffering right now in your life. God uh, will still vindicate your godly life and, and our godly lives even if others don't. And our suffering for good may ultimately point others to Jesus because Jesus always has an unfolding plan that's, that's taking place. And so, so patiently endure in whatever circumstances that you find yourself in today and keep choosing to follow the ways of God rather than to fall back into the ways of man. 
Okay, that's part one, and it's directed towards the, the believers that were scattered across Asia Minor. Here's part two. It uh, begins in verse 18 of chapter 3 and goes to the end of the chapter. And let me just read it for us today. It says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at, the God, is, and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. Now, I realize the time we have left is, is short. So, uh, rather than me digging deeply into this passage, which, which could take us a long time, I'm going to just try and capture the significance of it through a couple of key summary points. Now, in this final section, Peter shifts the focus away from the believers scattered around Asia Minor and the instructions he gives them on how to live their lives in front of others. And instead, what he does is he places a spotlight clearly on Jesus as, as the one who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And by doing this, he, he's reminding his audience that everything he has just said to them and everything he's just asked them to do and, and was asking, asking them to do, Jesus did already. It's like uh, you're experiencing, experiencing suffering. Well, well, so did Jesus. You're suffering for righteousness. Yeah, so did Jesus. Righteousness for the unrighteous, it says in the scripture. Some of your friends have been put to death. Well, so was Jesus. You see, Christ did exactly what he's asking us to do now. He suffered for what was right and just as God promised. And, and God blessed him and others for it. And just as he's asking you not to live in fear over those that threaten you, Jesus did not live in fear of the world's threats either. And just as he asked you to honor Christ as Lord in your hearts, Jesus honored his Father as Lord. And in all things and in all ways he submitted to his Father as Lord and resolutely continued to do his will right to the cross. And just like God promised, uh, promises you that when you suffer for what is right, you'll be blessed, God the Father blessed Jesus and his suffering produced great things. His suffering opened a spiritual door and it brought many men to God. His death ultimately defeated death and brought new life through the Spirit and eternal life through Jesus' resurrection. And his ascension and place in heaven beside the Father proves that, that the suffering we face on earth is only temporary. So we can take heart. And just as Jesus suffered as a righteous man and was vindicated, so too the believers Peter was writing to will be vindicated and will sit in Jesus' presence in heaven one day. And this is also true for us today. Christ wants us to follow his example of how we lived 
his life in front of others. So let's take heart and endure if we find ourselves in a place of unjust, unfair suffering. For Christ will also vindicate us. Let's expect God to use our lives and our suffering and our faithful witness to point others to Jesus so that they might know the reason of the hope that we have inside of us. Let's continue to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter and perfect example of faith, knowing that the suffering of Christ is a model of how we are to endure suffering and a window into the eternal impact of one who suffers for righteousness. You know, God uh, loves us and God is there with us and he sees what we're going through. And what he asks of us is, is that we would follow in the, the ways of Jesus and within the ways of God and that we would honor him. So as you experience unfairness in your life and as you experience injustice in your life, remember to, to honor the ways of God and to endure that suffering and to treat people with blessing instead of returning evil for evil. For if we do this, God can take our lives and use it. And who knows who might one day be seated beside you in heaven because they saw your life on earth, your good life and your good works, and it caused them to fall into a place where they want to honor God and make him Lord. Let me pray. So God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word that's so powerful. Thank you for the example of Jesus and for the, for the good words that Peter has given to the people around him. And I pray, God, that you would, would continue to, to help us to endure the suffering that we face, that you would help us to, to set apart you as Lord in our lives and that we would live for you in every way and that we would bring glory to your name and help others to do the same thing. And so help us to endure, especially if we're in a, in a season of suffering right now, whether that's brought on by the circumstances around the world or just brought on by life circumstances, but that we would trust you and we would endure through all things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.